much, Preston. Um, some of my uh, preaching mentors have a uh, classic little quip that they that they advise me with, and that I've heard preaching uh, professors teach their students. And they always say, "Don't bring the kitchen into the dining room. Uh, don't talk about your sermon prep when it comes time to preach the sermon." But I feel like sometimes it's important. Uh, to bring out some things that I realized while I was preparing them. And I was speaking to my wife earlier this week about this sermon, and I said, Honey, I need you to pray for me because I'm struggling with this one. She said, Why? Is it a hard text? And I said, No, it's the exact opposite. It's very, very clear. And she said, Well, then what's the problem? I said, I feel like I have said the same thing for several weeks in a row. And I feel, I feel like it's just getting repetitive. And she, like the wonderfully gifted um, sermon advisor she is, leans across to me and she says, Honey, it's not your call. And I kind of sat back and I thought and I went, You know what, you're right. It's not my call. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you straight up from the very beginning, some of this that we're going to talk about today is going to sound familiar. It's going to sound like some stuff that we've covered in the previous weeks going through the book of Ephesians. But that's okay. Because if it's getting said again, it's because God wanted it said again. He's the one wrote the book. He's the one planned it out. He's the one set it up. So you know what? We're going to do it again. So if you will turn in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and go straight to verse 8. Um, hope you picked out a handout. If you did, you'll notice it's titled, You Are the Light. Um, and I'm going to read this like we always do before we get started. And I'm going to tell you before we do, pay very close attention, not to what you think the scripture says, but read closely what it actually does. And that will make sense in just a second. So if you'll stand with me out of respect, for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read this incredibly clear, incredibly unconfusing piece of Scripture. Verse 8. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Father, we thank you so much for the light of Christ. We thank you what you have made us who have trusted him in him. So I pray that you would bless us with light this morning, with understanding, and that you would change us to look more like Jesus when we leave than we did when we got here. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I do believe it was Mark Twain that said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that bother me. Um, and, and for some reason, you know, I was at the pastor's meeting Tuesday, and we were just kind of chit-chatting amongst ourselves. Isn't that scary, a room full of pastors talking? Um, and I had one of them say something that I thought was really interesting. He said, you know, if we ever ask our folks, you know, what if, we, if you could pick a part of the Bible to preach out of, what would you preach? 
And he said, I can just about tell you in my church it would always be, oh, revelation, let's preach about the end times. Praise God, we're in the last days. Nobody ever wants to study James because James gets in your face. Nobody ever wants to study Romans because Romans gets in your face. We want to study the feel-good stuff. And sometimes it's the clear stuff that causes us the most trouble. Because the clear stuff, there's no, getting, there's no getting around it. You know what it says, it's clear, there's no hem-hawing, there's no explaining it away. Y'all, Ephesians 5, 8 through 14 is just clear. It's just clear as day. Uh, so we're going to start, we're going to look at, at, at two instructions that Paul gives us tonight, or, or today rather. See, I done got my light and my dark mixed up. Can you imagine how that happens with a baby? Um, First thing Paul's going to tell us is because you are light, shine. This sounds silly, but because you are light, shine. Look at verse 8. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is why I wanted you to read this passage closely as we were going through it. Paul did not say you were once in the darkness, but now you are in the light in the Lord. Paul said you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That doesn't sound like it's a very big difference, but it's a huge difference. It's the difference between this being about location and this being about identity. We'll say it at the very beginning. This entire sermon is one about your identity. It's about who you are. It's about what you are, and it's, it's about how you should live your life because of who you are, or how you will live your life because of who you aren't. It's a question of identity, not of location. Paul says you once were the darkness, but now you are light. I want to break down these two words um, that you'll get in Greek the word darkness in Greek is the word skotos. It's used 32 times in the New Testament, and it never seems to be a good thing. Let's talk a little bit about what darkness is just by itself uh, for a minute. Darkness is the absence of light. The best way, I, and, and you already intuitively understand this. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. If you go to a room and there's this little switch on the wall. I want you to conduct a thought experiment here with me. You walk into your room, you've got this little switch on the wall, and you've got these things hanging down from the ceiling. When you flip the switch, what have you done? You turn the lights on. You've never looked at anybody and said you flipped that switch and you turned the dark off. You've never done that, have you? If you have, you're pretty cool. Because I've, I've never met anybody that said, I, I'm going to turn the dark off. No, you turn the lights on. Why? Because you intuitively understand darkness is not something by itself. It's the absence of something else. When you walk into a dark room, you don't say this room's full of darkness. You say there's no light in here. There's not enough. I have to turn the lights on. You don't turn the darkness off. Darkness is empty. It's nothingness. It's the absence of light. Darkness is cold. It's confusion. Every night now, because Emily will bring the baby out in the living room to feed the baby and, and not feed the baby in where we're sleeping. So every night before I go to bed, I look around the floor and, and I, do a I do what I call a trip check. 
I make sure there's nothing on the floor that if she's walking in there kind of sleepy with a baby and the lights dim, she's not going to fall over it because darkness brings with it confusion. You don't know where everything is. Sometimes you don't know what things are. Um, darkness brings fear of the unknown. When you were a kid, were you ever afraid of the dark? I, I was. <laughs> I'll admit it. I had these little toy dinosaurs that sat on top of my bookshelves in my room, and I was terrified for a good two or three months because I was convinced that when the lights turned off, the dinosaurs came to life. And I told my mama, I said, we got to get these dinosaurs out of here. They're going to get me. And she said, honey, they're in the same place every morning when you turn the lights back on. But I was this little kid. And when it gets dark, your eyes play tricks on you. Things don't look the same. Anybody who's ever got lost at night that wouldn't ever get lost in the daytime can attest to this. Things look different in the dark, don't they? They do. Darkness is uncertainty. It's cold. It's the fear of the unknown. It's confusion. It's the absence of light. It's emptiness. In short, darkness is not a good thing, especially when used in the Bible. Again, this is not a statement of location. This is a statement of identity. Prior to Jesus, the Ephesians were not just in the darkness. They were the darkness. Kind of going back to, I think it's AA that says the first step to recovery is, is admitting you have a problem. The first step to understanding this passage is not admitting you have a problem. It's admitting you are the problem. It's not just, you don't have a problem with sin. Outside of Jesus Christ, you are a sin problem. See why I said this makes a big difference when I say you're not just in the darkness? This, doesn't, this means you're not just a victim outside of Christ. You're the perpetrator. You are the darkness in the world. Outside of Christ, if you say what's wrong with the world, go home and look in the mirror. I'm not trying to be rude, I'm trying to be biblical. Other than Jesus, outside of Christ, we are the darkness. But, praise Jesus, verse 8 doesn't end there. But now you are light in who? In the Lord. You are not light by yourself. You didn't just get up on the right side of the bed one day, get a really close shave, get your hair all done right, and put your clothes on right, and say, I'm light today. You didn't do that. You can be real pretty darkness. You are light in the Lord. The Greek word for light is phos. There are some different versions of that word. One of them comes out coming as the word photos, where we get the word photo. The reason we use the word photo is because the way a camera works is it captures light. It captures light reflected off of objects, and it kind of imprints that for us to look at later. Light is real. Light is solid. Ask a physicist. A physicist will tell you that light actually has mass. It's got particles. They're called photons. Darkness 
is nothing. Light is solid. It's real. It behaves a certain way. Light is warmth. It's fullness. It's joy. It's clarity. When a kid's scared of the dark, you know what another quickest way to get rid of it? Turn the lights on. Let them see that, no, there's not actually a monster under the bed. It's just a really big dust bunny because you haven't vacuumed in a long time. It's not actually going to come out and get them. Those dinosaurs have not actually moved. They've been in the same place for months. Everything's clear when you've got the lights on. Christians are not just in the light. They are the light that's in the world. This is not a statement of location. This is a statement of identity. God intends Christians to be light in the world. He intends people who have a relationship with him through his son Jesus Christ to illuminate the rest of the world. He intends us to be spiritual trendsetters. That's what God intends for Christians to do. There is no such thing, hear me Stapleton, there is no such thing as a private Christian faith. And there are plenty of outlets that will encourage you, faith is a private matter. Faith is something between you and God. What you believe in the privacy of your own home is between you and God, but don't impose your beliefs on others. There's only one problem with that. It's not in the Bible! Our faith is by nature public. It's not just what we believe. We don't separate our religion from reality. There's not this little pocket for religion over here and this little pocket for the real world over here. Our religion is real. You can't separate the two. When the Bible says something's sin, it's not just sin in my little religion pocket. It's sin in the real world. And if I'm a light, which the Bible says I am, I am to illuminate that. Listen to what Paul says we're supposed to do. Last part of verse 8, he says, walk as children of the light. Because we are light and not darkness, we should not walk as though we are still darkness. Be who you are. I love Disney. I love it so much. And I love it for one reason. One, I, I don't know that I've ever spoken to a group of people that I could reference Disney and the majority of folks didn't get the illustration. That's one reason I love Disney. My favorite Disney movie is The Lion King. I love it so much. I'm going to try not to get choked up quoting this part because I always do get choked up over this silly little animated movie, but it's good. There's a scene in The Lion King where Simba has run away. He's been run off from his home and he doesn't want to come back. He's been living the worry-free life. Everything's happy. Everything's good. He's forgotten all his troubles. And he ends up having a conversation with his departed father. And he goes, Simba, you have forgotten who you are and so you have forgotten me. You are more than what you have become. It is time for you to go back and take your place. 
Now, you could take that one little line, and if I could say it like James Earl Jones said it, then it would be a lot more impressive. But you could take that line, and you could, this is kind of what Paul is saying. Christians, if you have forgotten who you are, you have forgotten him. If you are not living as light, you are more than what you have become. Go back and take your place as lights in the world. Why is the world so dark? Because the light refuses to shine. Take your place. Do what God, be what God has made you. How do we do that? The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, in some of you who have, actually the majority of you, if you have any translation other than King James, you're working off of older but fewer manuscripts. And some of the oldest manuscripts don't actually say the fruit of the Spirit, they say the fruit of the light. I'm looking at a couple people that I know have translations that have the fruit of the light in their Bible. One of the reasons that you have spirit here in some manuscripts. This is one of those situations where depending on your manuscript, you may have one different word, but it doesn't make a hill of beans worth of difference because you will notice that the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the light, if you want to go reference the fruit of the Spirit later, well, actually, well, it's in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. The fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the light are similar. This is not on your handout, but the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are love, joy, peace, patience, excuse me, horrible grammatical error. It is. The fruit of the Spirit all comes together. There's not multiple fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is the way the light behaves. The light should be known for its goodness the light should be known for its righteousness the light should be known for its truth christian do these characteristics are they normal in your life is goodness normal in your life is righteousness normal in your life is truth normal in your life I'm not giving you I'm not giving you a dose of do better right now. That's not what I'm trying to tell you to do. I'm not trying to tell you be a Christian by being good, by being righteous and being truthful. That's not what I'm doing. You got the cart before the horse. I'm saying if you are a Christian, these should be showing up in your life. If you are the light and you are shining, you should be shining in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And for the matter, you should also be showing the other fruit of the Spirit. You should be showing love. You should be showing joy. You should be showing peace. You should be showing patience. You should be showing kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are the, is the fruit there? Do you see it? This is the question I ask when somebody says, oh, yeah, I've got a relationship with the Lord. Where's the fruit? You know, there are some pear trees behind my house. One of my deacons called me the other day and said, 
I got some pear trees behind your house. I want to come check on them, make sure they're okay, cut everything back. All right, that's great. I would not have known there were pear trees because my thumb is about as far from green as you can get. I, I know nothing about growing stuff. Doesn't mean I'm not going to try here shortly, but knew nothing about them. The way this man knows their pear trees is he knows what trees he got them from. So because he knows where they came from, he knows what they ought to produce. And if he puts them in the ground and takes care of them and keeps trimmed around them, what's the pear tree going to produce? Pears. Now if that tree pops up an orange, one, this man's going to be real disappointed. Second, he's going to go find the person who gave him these pear trees and ask them what they thought they were doing by giving him orange trees. I didn't give you orange trees. I gave you pear trees. No, you gave me orange trees. You know how I know? This orange came off of it. A tree is known by its fruit. It doesn't matter what it's labeled. It doesn't matter how bad it wants to be a, a particular kind of tree. What it produces it is what it is. If you're a light, you will produce the fruit of the light. If you're not, you will not. Those who are light should live in and produce goodness. Those who are light should live in and produce righteousness. Those who are light should live in and produce the truth. Christian, that should outline your life. And then verse 10, finally, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Children of the light make it a constant feature of their lives to find out what pleases God and then do it. That's a normal question that a Christian should be asking. Lord, what is your will? And once you find out what it is, do it. Now, something, I, I don't normally get into Greek grammar, but occasionally I do when it makes a difference. And this word, finding out, is an active participle. Bet y'all didn't know y'all going to grammar school this morning, did you? It's an active participle. The reason that makes a difference is that means we're not just sitting here going, Oh, Lord, show me your will. I'll be sitting here watching TV until you do. <laughs> Honey, have you heard from God yet? No? Okay. And you just wait. That's passive. That's waiting on God to just step in and just flash a big giant neon sign in front of you, thus says me. That's, that's not what Paul says do. He says finding out actively what is acceptable to the Lord. That means you go looking for it. You seek out the will of God and you find it. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, you got his word right here in front of you. He's told you how you're supposed to be living. He's told you what you're supposed to be doing. Don't you think if you as a Christian step up and say, I'm going to live as a light in the world, I'm going to obey what God's told me, and I'm going to look for his will, don't you think that he will put in front of you places and times and ways for you to obey him? Yes. He sure will. 
I can tell you this personally. Be careful praying for God to give you an opportunity to obey Him and then go and looking for it, because He will. Question is, are you actually willing to do it? Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, actively going after it, hunting it down. If you Here's your application for these first couple verses. If you're light, act like it. This was why I was struggling with this sermon. Because it's so basic. It's so simple. If you're light, act like it. You ever do something as a kid and your parent just comes up to you and they said, you know better. Most of the time, we know what, how we're supposed to be living. We know what we're supposed to be doing. We just don't because we're stubborn. We're stubborn and we're selfish and we want to do what we want to do. If you're light, act like it. Again, I'm not telling you to act like it so you can become light. You cannot ever make God happy. You cannot ever make Him pleased with you based on how you behave because no amount of good that you can do can outdo the amount of bad you have already done. You need Jesus Christ to wipe your sin away and make you light before you can shine. Before you can shine, you've got to actually be light. I'm not telling you to do good in order to be light. I'm telling you, if you're a light, flip on the switch. Turn the light on. Shine. If you're light, act like it. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. See what Jesus is saying? If you're a light, it doesn't make sense for you to light it and then put something over it where it can't shine. This actually comes immediately after a passage where Jesus talks about salt that loses its saltiness. What good is salt that is no longer salty? It's not. What if we went camping and I handed you a flashlight that I had taken the bulb out of? What good is it going to do you? None. You can't make light puppets on the tent with that. It doesn't do any good. It's useless. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When a light shines, it's not for the benefit of the light. It's the benefit for, for God the Father. It glorifies Him. So if you want to glorify God the Father, be what He made you to be. Then 1 Thessalonians 5, 5-8, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Be sons and daughters of the light. If God has saved you, be what he saved you to be. He saved you with a purpose. You are a light in the world because that's what he has made you to be. So if you're a light, act like it. Shine. That's what Paul tells us through 1 
the first uh, three verses of this passage. Second, because you are a light, you might say, Josh, if I'm a light and I'm supposed to act like it, how do I do that? Because you're a light, expose the darkness. Verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Stapleton Baptist Church, pause and listen to me here for a second. In my notes, I've got this in bold capital letters, basically on its own line. That does not mean we turn this church body into a police state. I don't mean get your little flashlight and walk around inspecting other people's lives through the darkness and go, Oh, I found it! I found it! You're exposed! That's not what I meant. Let me caution you to be light on yourself first. Worry a lot more about the plank that's in your eye before you try and take the speck out of somebody else's. I promise you, we all got enough darkness to concern ourselves with ourselves first. Okay? So I'm not telling you to go around hunting darkness and everybody else. I promise you, if we would judge ourselves, then we wouldn't have to be judged. But this does, however, mean that as a believer, we are to have no tolerance for the works of darkness, especially in our own lives, and we defend the righteousness and the light of this church through the practice of redemptive church discipline. That's how we protect the light here. That's how we expose the deeds of darkness. Remember when I said the fruit of the light was similar to the fruit of the Spirit? Remember that? Here's the fruit of the flesh, or dare I say it, the fruit of darkness. This is immediately prior to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because that is the fruit of darkness, not the fruit of light. So what does light do? Light exposes the darkness. Is any of this in your life? Do you see any of this? Idolatry, envy, pick, pick out some of these that are easy, that sneak by. It's not, it's not easy to hide a murder. It's pretty easy to say, oh, I didn't murder anybody. But what about hate? You hate somebody? What about contention? Like fighting with people? Like to get in people's faces? What about jealousy? Is there somebody that you mad that they got something that you want? Darkness. I mean, then, then you got yours ab, that are absolutely clear. Adultery, fornication, drunkenness, revelry, murder, heresies. Ugh. As a pastor, that one terrifies me. Lord, have mercy, heresy. Believe in things about God that is not biblical. Darkness. If your light exposed this, don't let it go. Don't let it stand. Listen to how in the same book, Galatians, Paul says to deal with this. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We look out for each other. 
Here's your spiritual homework. Go home, flip on National Geographic, and watch a lion or a leopard or a panther go hunting. When they go after that herd of antelope, do you know which one they're going to go after? The one in the back that's all by itself. They're not going to run straight into the crowd. Why? Because that whole crowd of them together can whoop them. They want the little injured one off to the side that's already weak. What did Jesus say Satan prowls about like? A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan does two things to churches. He either picks off the little sick ones that are off to the side that are no longer involved in the body, or he joins it. And you don't ever, I, I promise you, if the church has reached the point where Satan can jump in and just participate, you've, you've, you've already had your little sick ones picked off. One place Satan doesn't want to go is Satan does not want to run into a body of believers who are light, who are shining on each other, who are restoring each other, who are protecting each other, who are looking after each other. Satan hates that. The reason Satan hates that is because if there's enough light in the room to illuminate each other, it starts shining out the windows, and then it starts shining out the doors, and then it starts shining down the street, and then it starts shining on other people, and then other people start lighting up. That's what happens when evangelism catches. Are you light? Are you exposing the deeds of the darkness? One of my favorite Vance Havner quotes goes like this. Two things happen when you open a barn door to let the light in. The birds start singing and the rats run and hide. Let the light shine. You'll find out what's what. Look at verse 11. Uh, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them for it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. I had a youth this last Wednesday ask me, have you ever heard of Scientology? Yes, I have. They're a cult. You want to know one of the marks of a cult is the farther you go into it, the more you find out. And there are certain things that they won't tell you until you're advanced enough. Let me tell you something about Christianity. There ain't nothing secret about Christianity. You don't even have to be a Christian. I'll give it to you as clearly as I can. We don't have any secrets. There's, no, there's nothing shady. Well, oh, you, you don't know what they talk about in those deacons meetings. I'll tell you what we talk about in deacons meetings. We talk about whether or not, you know, do we have enough people on this committee? Well, did we remember to check this out? Well, what about the building policy? Do we need to do something about that? Hey, I'm getting hungry. Yeah, we're done. Let's leave. Deacons, am I lying? I mean, that, that's, it's not secret. It's not shady. There's nothing deceptive about it. We is what we is. Hi. This is us. This is what we do. 
We get together, we encourage each other, we love Jesus, we pray, we sing songs of praise to God, we open his word, we learn from it, and we leave hoping we look more like, look more like him than we did when we got here. That's what we do. But Paul says, be careful. The things that are done in secret, it's not even worthy that we should speak of them. Luke 12, verses 2 through 3, There is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. The reason Christians don't have any secrets is because we know there's no such thing. Christianity is wide out open for everybody to see because we know one day everything's going to be revealed. Everything's going to be out in the open. What was on the missing Watergate tape? I don't know. Jesus does. Who shot JFK? I don't know. Jesus does. What's really in Area 51? Probably a Walmart and a Dollar General. But Jesus knows. The reason Christianity, we don't have secret societies is because there's no such thing as a secret. And we already know that. That's what Paul is telling. If you're a light, don't try and live in the darkness. There's nothing good in the darkness. Be the light. Expose the darkness. Banish the darkness wherever you go. Verse 13 is kind of a biblical truism. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Light has this quality about itself that when it shows up, darkness has to leave. It doesn't have a choice. You don't ever turn on a light and see the darkness fighting against it. They cannot exist in the same place. If light is somewhere, darkness is not. If darkness is somewhere, light is not. They cannot coexist, and darkness can never banish light. It's always the other way around. If something banishes darkness, it is light. So Paul says, if you are light, you should banish darkness wherever you go. Now, here's the truth. The world is full of darkness. And one of my favorite Christian philosophers is a man named Francis Schaeffer. And I want to read something to you from a book of his called Death in the City, where he argues for exactly what we are talking about here today, that Christians have got to reclaim our place as light in the world because I don't know if y'all have turned on the news lately, but this world is buck wild and running off the rails as fast as it can go. Okay? This is what Francis Schaeffer has to say in his book, Death in the City. Romans 1, 21 and 22 states, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither gave thanks, but became vain in their reasoning. What is involved here is men thinking, and that which is cognitive, in thought processes, in comprehension. They became vain in their reasoning, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. When Scripture speaks of a man becoming foolish like this, it doesn't mean he is only religiously foolish. 
Rather, it means he has accepted a position that is intellectually foolish, not only in regard to what the Bible says, but also in regard to what exists, the universe in its form, and the mannishness of man. In turning away from God and the truth which he has given, man has thus become foolishly foolish in regard to what man is and what the universe is. He is left with a position in which he cannot live, and he is caught in a multitude of intellectual and personal tensions. Let me translate this for you in what it looks like today. When you abandon God and you abandon his word and you abandon the truth that he's given you, the light that he's given you, you find yourself in darkness. You're stumbling around. You have no idea what it is. You don't know what humanity is. How do I know the world doesn't know what humanity is? It can't tell the difference between a man and a woman anymore. It can't tell the difference between right and wrong anymore. It can't tell the difference between good and evil anymore. It can't tell the difference between mutually exclusive religions anymore. All religions are equal. We all religion, everybody can believe what they want to believe. Oblivious to the fact that they say opposite things. Guys, it's not... I'm concerned about the people I'm talking about. I'm not mocking them. I'm not judging them. I'm telling you to have compassion on them and shine on them and share the gospel with them because they're not just in darkness. They are darkness. They're confused. They're lost. They have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. In your Bible, that looks like Paul is quoting scripture. And if he is, he's kind of doing a mashup of several of them because nowhere in the Bible does this phrase exist the way it does in this passage. The majority of biblical scholars think that this is, uh, this is a baptismal hymn. This might have been one of the things that the early church sang at a service in which they baptized somebody. So as someone was coming out of the water, they would have said, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. How does this work? In the end, what it means is the only cure for darkness, the only cure for being darkness, the only cure for being in the darkness, the only cure for producing darkness is to come to the one who can make you light. That's your only hope. That's your only prayer. Come to Christ. Awake you who sleep. Rise from the dead. And Christ will give you light. Have you been given light today? Have you come to Christ? Have you left the darkness and become light in Christ? You don't do that by doing good things. You don't do that by coming to church. You don't do that by giving. You don't do that by reading your Bible. You do that. You don't do that. Christ does that for you. Trust in Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Believe that what he did on the cross, dying for you, dying the death you deserve, believe that was enough for you. Trust him with that, and he will give you light. Here's what we're going to do next. If the Holy Spirit's poking you somewhere in, in there and bothering you, yes, if you've got that going on, that's what that is. If, if, if he's harassing you, 
I wish the skinny guy up front would stop talking because it's really making me uncomfortable. I hate to tell you, but if you're uncomfortable because of what we're saying up here, I'm about to pray to God that he would not give you peace until you respond. So there you go. That's our gift to you today. <laughs> the only cure for that is to come to Christ. Confess your sin to Jesus. Ask him to save you, and he will give you life. So here's what we're going to do. You've got several different options. I'm going to be up front, up here. You can either come down and talk to me. What we'll do is we'll make an appointment to talk a little bit more at length, maybe this afternoon. I don't want to have the big, long conversation up here, put you on the spot, have you feel like everybody's staring at you. But you can come down front and let me know, Pastor, we need to talk. You've got a bulletin. Um, there's a gift card on the side of it. If you're visiting with us today, we don't want your money. You can fill that out. That's your gift to us. Um, we'll get it, and we'll follow up with you. Um, it, or you can catch me at the back door before we leave. I just don't want you to leave with the Holy Spirit working on you and you refuse to act. If he's calling you, come to Christ and he'll give you light. I'm going to pray. Preston and uh, Miss Joyce are going to lead us in a couple of verses of a hymn. If you need to come, you come. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the light. Thank you for being our light and for making us light by trusting you. Lord, I pray for those in here today who don't know you, who maybe are coming to grips with the fact that they're not just in darkness, but they are darkness. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work on them. And Holy Spirit, I'm going to make good on what I just told them. I, if, you're, if you're messing with them, if you're calling them to you, if you're convicting them, Lord, I pray that you would keep right on doing that even after they leave today. I pray that you would give them no peace until they hear you. Lord, I pray that you would bless them that way. It might seem uncomfortable for the time being, but oh, what a blessing it is to have God working on you. So I pray that you would do that in them today, Lord. Um, I thank you for our church. I thank you for giving us the privilege to exist and to be here and to serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.